You're listening to On the Same Page, a podcast from the Jefferson Madison Regional Library. Welcome back to a new episode of On the Same Page, a podcast from the Jefferson Madison Regional Library System. I'm EJ, here with my co-host, Abby. That's right, I'm Abby. In today's episode, we're sharing how to grow, learn, and connect at all nine branches of JMRL. We also have new book chats for you and updates on our reading resolutions. Last, we sat down with Meredith Dickens, collection manager, for a fun behind-the-scenes look at how the library works day-to-day. Before we jump in, we want to make sure you are aware of our same page kickoff events coming up in the next few weeks. Check the show notes to find out when and where you can pick up a free copy of Ross Gay's Book of Essays, The Book of Delights. Kickoff events also feature other giveaways and activities, so don't miss out on the fun. Let's see what else is happening at JMRL these next two weeks. Take it away, Abby. All are welcome to visit the Bookmobile Monday through Thursday. The Bookmobile has scheduled stops in Albemarle County. Afternoons and evenings, the Bookmobile visits its scheduled stops in Charlottesville. At Central, join us on Saturday, March 4th at 10 a.m. for an interactive poetry writing workshop for teens and adults, followed by our same page kickoff party for all ages at 11 a.m. At Crozet, make an appointment to meet with a DMV agent to receive a whole host of services on Wednesday, March 8th. Appointments are from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. At Gordon, UVA researchers from the Child Development Labs will be set up with fun, short activities for kids 4 and up on Wednesday, March 1st. Drop in anytime from 2.30 to 4.30. At Green, teens and adults are invited to the Tabletop Strategy Game Night on Tuesday, February 28th from 6 to 8 p.m. They will be learning to play Splendor. At Louisa, join Read and Rhyme Storytime every Thursday morning at 10.30 a.m. At Nelson, pick up all the supplies and instructions that you'll need for painting a winter birch scene on Tuesday, February 28th. This is available while supplies last. At Northside, join us as we welcome Taylor Harris, author of the highly acclaimed memoir, The Boy We Made, a memoir of motherhood, genetics, and the facing the unknown, on Tuesday, March 7th, from 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. At Scottsville, don't miss the Quilting and Knitting Gathering. This group meets at the library Mondays at 1 p.m. and Thursdays at 11 a.m. As always, check the calendar to find out more and to register. I've been wondering, how are your 2023 reading resolutions going? Well, Abby, that is an excellent question. How am I doing? So my challenges that I put on myself were the following. To read 12 books set in places that I've never been. I'm calling this one the Around the World Challenge. And my second challenge to myself, I'll call the non-traditional challenge, which is to read non-traditionally structured novels. So novels with multiple narrators, written entirely in letters, or IMs, or chats, or emails, or really anything that's outside of that traditional norm novel structure. And I said that I would try to read at least 10 of those, and that my goal for this year was to read a total of 40 books. So a little update on how it's going. 
I have read four books so far this year. I'm an hour away from finishing my fifth book of the year. So I think I'm on track. Storygraph says I'm a little bit behind, that I need to be reading a little bit faster to keep on pace to get to 40. But I think I've got it. I think I can do it. All right. Around the World Challenge. No progress yet, I will say. I have chosen books this year where I have been to most, if not all, of the countries, states, cities, towns, most of the places I've been to. The current book I'm reading uh, called Carrie Soto is Back by Taylor Jenkins Reid. Some of it takes place in Australia. I have not been to Australia, so I probably won't count that, but I am kind of keeping in my head a little idea of is it going to be the whole book is set in a place that I haven't been or just pieces of it? For my non-traditional challenge, I have finished one for that called The Rewind. That was written with two narrators, so alternating chapters between the male and female protagonists. And I really enjoyed listening to that. I, I find that these non-traditional structured novels are way more fun to listen to because Sometimes there's multiple narrators, like in the Rewind, there were multiple narrators. There was a female narrator and a male narrator for each of the characters, which did help. And the current book I'm reading, again, that's Carrie Soto is Back by Taylor Jenkins Reid. I'm a huge fan of that one so far. Um, this audiobook is excellent. If you can get your hands on it, I highly recommend it. If you are a fan of tennis at all, you would be really into it. If there is like a sports show spot, like an ESPN or, you know, a sports channel spot where they're talking about the tennis champions or the tennis players, they'll have intro music that will come in. It will sound like they are like doing an actual broadcast on TV. They even have a separate narrator reading, you know, editorials from magazines and things like that. So that I am considering a non-traditional structure because of the way I'm listening to it. So I will count that for my non-traditional challenge here. And I think that's kind of where I'm at with my challenge. I will say this. I read a lot of children's books, um, picture books, and a lot of juvenile nonfiction. I really love to read that kind of stuff. So I've read probably about 40 to 50 already this year of um, juvenile titles. I don't count those in my totals at the end of the year, but I've been inspired by some of our librarians in the system to count those. So I'll have a better number for you at the next check-in of how many books I've actually read this year, but it's probably closer to like 45 to 50 actually right now, if you count all of the picture books and, you know, juvenile nonfiction that I've been um, consuming lately. And if you, listener, are trying to figure out what to read, just like me, maybe behind on your reading resolutions, or you just want to read something different, you can fill out a form on our website called the What Do I Read Next form, and you will get personalized reading recommendations from the lovely librarians of JMRL. We will put a link to the form in the show notes below, and we hope we can help you find some things to read. And now, Abby, I am extremely curious how your reading for enjoyment and my own pleasure challenges are going. Yes. So I had two reading resolutions for 2023. One was to read what I love and to 
fall back in love with reading to basically get to the point where I'm reading every day and I love it and it's great. It's exciting. And my other one was to do what I'm calling the decades challenge, which is to read at least one book from every decade, starting with the 2020s and working my way back 2010s, 2000s, 1990s, etc. Last year, I read 28 books. I didn't officially set a goal for myself, but I would love to do more than that. So I can maybe retroactively add a little number goal onto there, maybe say 30 books, just to pick it back up. And I'm doing pretty well so far. I've read five books this year, so I'm on track for 30. As far as my decades challenge goes, so far so good. I read Four Treasures of the Sky by Jenny Zhang, which was a brand new book published in 2022. I found that I've been able to read newer books a lot easier using Libby and using audiobooks because the newer books tend to come up closer to the top. The book that I've read from the 2010s is All the Light We Cannot See by Anthony Doerr, which we are talking about in our next episode, two weeks from now, for our final installment of our podcast book club, Overbooked, which is featuring this title. I will comment on my reading resolution that I'm not sure if I'm still loving the Decades Challenge because it just becomes so clear to me that, you know, one book, it cannot be representative of a decade. I mean, the book that I read that was published in 2014 was a historical fiction book. So it wasn't even about like the 2010s, you know, the technologies or anything like that. So I think it's hard. I'm still going to do it because I think it will push me to read older books. Like it will probably become more interesting when I'm reading things from the 90s, the 80s, the 70s, when I can maybe ask my parents or my grandparents for suggestions. Like what was a great book that you read when you were growing up or when you were a young adult? Because like when my mom was a young adult in the 90s or when my grandparents were young adults in the 70s. So I think then it will be interesting and I will not necessarily view it as representative of the decade, but maybe just a way to read socially and like connect with other generations. And listeners, we want you to read along with us. So please send us your suggestions for our resolutions. If you have ideas for places that are exotic, that maybe EJ, even being a world traveler, maybe she's never been. Or if you have older books that you would like to recommend for me and my Decades Challenge, please do that. We're going to be adding our books that are meeting our criteria for our challenges to a special find, find it list. So you can find the link to that in our show notes below. We hope that you will check out these books that we've been reading so that you can read them as well. And just to wrap up our reading resolution roundup here, our next check-in will be in July. For now, if you are looking for a reading challenge for the next month or so, JMRL is sponsoring the For the Love of Reading Challenge in the rest of February and all the way through till the end of March. If you track your reading on Beanstack, you can be entered into a drawing where a child, a teen, and an adult will all win a book. So we'll have three separate winners in three separate categories. So please start tracking all of that phenomenal reading you're doing and let's get those minutes up in Beanstack. While we're talking about books and the joys of reading, 
Let's now talk about our book chats. I have a new book chat to share today. I'm going to be talking about Unbound by Tarana Burke. This is a memoir of Tarana Burke, the creator, founder, leading visionary for the Me Too movement. She kind of coined Me Too almost 10 years before it really became a huge Hollywood splash point. And it's an amazing story. It's not at all what I was expecting, but it was riveting. It's actually not a book about the Me Too movement. It's a book about this woman, Tarana Burke. She is strong, passionate, hardworking woman. She's a jack of all trades. She does everything. And in this book, we see her come of age. We also see the metamorphosis that brings her into her most effective power. And what is this work that she's doing? Well, she's a third generation Bronxite black woman, and her story begins with sexual assault, unfortunately. It began when she was a young girl, and it continued to harm her into her adolescence and beyond. And that's a story that is shockingly common for black and brown girls and women. I did not realize how prevalent this was until I was inside Tirana's community. And because she is trained and experienced as a community leader and organizer and change agent, we really do see her really and truly surrounded by community. That's what she writes. This is not a book of Tirana inside her head. This is her in and with her community. Sometimes she is at odds. Sometimes she is unified. But she is always surrounded by people. She doesn't use numbers. She uses stories. Over and over, these girls are coming forward and they're saying, me too, me too, me too, or this happened to me, or this is my secret. I think that I can see more clearly than before. This, this book was effective. It was successful because it clarified my view that the world can be a very scary place for black and brown bodies. The book was also nuanced. As I said, she does not hesitate to call out members of her own community, and she does not hesitate to call out herself. But the beauty, I thought, was reading about those shortcomings and seeing her understanding of trauma unfold and grow and mature because she was doing the very best she could in any given moment. And even though she feels like she fails at times, she's still doing her best. And I think she gets to that point where she realizes that. I would highly recommend this book, although it does come with a trigger warning, because this is a raw story of sexual assault. But it is also the story of growth, healing, and amazing leadership from Tarana Burke. So for my book chat today, I am talking about two children's books. The first is called Trombone Shorty by Troy Andrews, illustrated by Brian Collier. The author is the subject of this book. It is sort of a biographical story of how he, Troy Andrews got his nickname Trombone Shorty. 
He is from a neighborhood in New Orleans that is known for its music and its vibe in general. And so he talks a lot about in this book about how at the age of six, he was already sort of a trombone prodigy leading his own band and even headlining and performing at the New Orleans Jazz Fest. It is a great book. It's wonderful to look at. The illustrator, Brian Collier, is amazing. He's won a number of awards. It's quite striking, especially the cover, which is what drew me into it. And I think that it's a great title for parents to read to their kids or for kids to be reading to their parents if they want some practice reading. It's definitely at a very good level for that. And it sits at about 40 pages, so it's not too long of a story. We have here at JMRL the hard copy. We also have it available on Libby if you would like to check it out there. If you are interested in jazz music at all, I encourage you to look Trombone Shorty up, listen to his music, but also read this book because it is quite good. He has also written another book. Um, about his life, about his band that he created when he was a kid called Five O'Clock Band. So he's got different books out about his life in New Orleans and connecting people to not just jazz, but also rock and pop, funk and hip hop genres of music, all from his own words, his own eyes and his own story. One of my favorite books that I've read so far this year. The other children's book I just want to mention mention is called Faith Ringgold, Narrating the World in Pattern and Color. And this is by Sharna Jackson. The illustrator is Andrea Pippins. This book is published by the Met, the Metropolitan Museum of Art. So it focuses really heavily on Faith Ringgold's story, how she got started, how she was as a child, but also the activism actions that she took when she became an adult. She is a very inspiring American activist and artist. She has dipped her toe in quite a number of different mediums of art, including creating very powerful story quilts, which is something that she's known for. It follows her travel from Harlem to New York to Europe, Ghana, and Nigeria. And What I really like about the series of books from the Met is throughout the book, there are different ways that you can get involved with art and ideas. So things like uh, a observation exercise where for 20 minutes you just write and draw what you see. And then after those 20 minutes, you add to it and you create more of an atmosphere within your art, which is something that Faith Ringgold does in her own art is she creates an atmosphere and tells a story with her art through observation. And that's something that this book does a great job of showing off to the readers. The series itself, all from the Met, also includes books on Georgia O'Keeffe, Vincent Van Gogh, and also um, Hukasa, who um, created the woodblock, the wave art that is quite famous now. So 
I really encourage parents and kids to pick up this book and all of the series from the Met if they are interested in art or getting involved in activism or how to start just being creative in general. These are great short stories to get people excited about creating. For our final segment of the day, we've brought Meredith Dickens to the show. She oversees the life cycle of our entire collections, all the books, DVDs, CDs, digital materials, and more. She works behind the scenes, but finds ways to keep this community of people at the center of all she does. Welcome to the show, Meredith. Hi, Meredith. Thanks for being on the podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me. So let's get started. We're going to jump right in. And tell us a little bit about your JMRL history and just a little bit of your life story. Okay. Well, I could go the short version or the long version, but I'll go with the medium version. How's that? My history with JMRL starts when I was a toddler coming to Storytime at Gordon Avenue Library. Growing up in Charlottesville, I loved coming to the Central Library and moved away for college and grad school and uh became a librarian and then moved back to Charlottesville. <laughs> I've been a bunch of different kinds of librarian, but I started at JMRL about 15 years ago as the young adult librarian at the Crozet Library back when it was in the depot, then moved to being the branch manager at Gordon Avenue Library for a few years. And about 10 years ago, I started this position, which works out of the Central Library and is responsible for selecting books for the adult collection, managing the budget for the materials, and working with just about every level of library staff to get input on how we can maintain the collections, what goes on the shelves, what stays on the shelves, and how best to take care of it while it's with us. So Meredith, you're telling us organically the pieces of collection development. We need to buy the books for the library. We need to identify gaps in our collection if we realize, oh, we don't have any books about this or that. Are there any pieces of collection development that we've missed? Is there anything that listeners at home might not think of that you do in your day-to-day -day job and making sure that we have a great collection? That is a good question. I think because... Yes, because I think of it as one whole cycle. We do talk about the collection cycle. So we get books in, new books in all the time because we've identified a gap, as you said, a topic that we don't cover or a new author. New books are published all the time. The other side of things which folks don't always think about is that in order to get new books in all the time, we do have to release books out into the wild. And we do that several ways, and I'm happy to talk about that. But the library collection is a living, dynamic thing that's constantly changing. So we're constantly looking at how are the needs of the community changing and what resources are, are out there in the world that we can bring to our readers and as we bring in new things, we need to make space for them. So we identify the books that are worn out, that are outdated. The public library is different from an archive or a museum or even an academic library where they maintain a lot more of historical resources. We want to be vibrant and up to date for our current readers. So to get back to your question, <laughs> collection management deals with the entire life cycle of the materials. It's not all reading book reviews for new books and, and buying books. It's a lot of spreadsheets. I look at circulation data and how the collection is being used so that we, we can tell 
what's most popular with our readers, what people are, are accessing most that we might need more of, and budgeting, finding the best ways to acquire material with our limited resources, and maintaining the collection. We have a really great core of volunteers and staff who are trained in book repair. Another thing that takes up my time is dealing with donations. Can you talk to us a little bit more about this buying a book in honor of a loved one? And what is that all about? That is is a small part of my job in terms of time, but it's one of my favorite things. It's our way of connecting generally when someone wants to donate in honor of. It doesn't even have to be in memory of. It could be for the birth of a child. Somebody gives $25 and we're able to select a really wonderful picture book to add to a local branch library. And that's one of my favorite things is to match up the titles that we select in honor of or in memory of someone. You can submit a buy a book form and you can suggest a topic that would be special to the person you're honoring. And we'll do what we can to to match up needs of our community with really the best way to honor that person. And we know that reading is so important and books are so important whether it's fiction or nonfiction, whether you're learning facts or learning about the world, learning about yourself. So I'm interested, could you share a little bit about why you think collection development is so important? Maybe you could even talk about the windows, mirrors, and doors. That is a great question. And it's one of my favorite things about collection management or collection development. I get to be aware of the just variety of information and ideas that are out there in books. And I get to provide those to the community, the entire rainbow and breadth of of everything that's that's out there. We sort of distill it and make it available um, to our community. And you mentioned mirrors and windows and doors, and that is a common way of conceptualizing how people approach literature. You can have stories that mirror your own experience, which help validate your place in the world. As you come to a story where you can see yourself in it or your situation or maybe one of your lived experiences, you can see yourself in the story and that brings you into the larger community. So those would be mirrors. Windows comes next. <laughs> Books can also be windows into worlds that you haven't experienced yet or for about worlds with people who don't look like you or, or don't come from a place you come from. We learn about other people in that way. We also learn how we all have things in common despite our differences. It's one of the, the great things about reading stories from other cultures or other groups of people is that we also get to to find the common essence that reminds us we are all actually human and we all have human stories. And then if you want to take the mirrors and windows one step farther, we talk about sliding glass doors, which have some amount of reflection, but also allow you to step through. And I love walking into our branches and being reminded of exactly how many how many different experiences we have in our location and how we can honor all of them how anybody walking in the door can find something a that ma- matches their experience and then also that introduces them to other experiences Meredith we talked about donations and we talked about supporting the library through giving funds for us to buy books or to buy a book directly from our wish list or maybe even 
filling out a form that allows us to give a book in memory or in honor of someone, but what are some other ways that community members can be involved in this collection management process? A lot of different ways. And I mentioned the sort of life cycle of the collection and because we're constantly looking for new things. So the best way for our community to get involved is to let us know about what we don't have in the collection that they would like to see, or just, hey, I heard an author on NPR that I really think you should, this sounds great. And hopefully I was listening to that NPR thing too, and I've just put an order in, but we can't listen to all of the news. So we have a suggest a purchase form. It's online and also in paper at any of our branches. And that's a formal way for folks to suggest a specific title. I heard about this. I, you know, I've been wanting to read it and we don't have it in the collection. So they can fill out the suggest a purchase form and we will keep track. Even if we think that it's something that, you know, the library is going to get, if it's the next John Grisham title, uh, yes, the library will absolutely be buying that, but you can put your name on the list and we'll hold on to your name and put you on hold for it automatically. So you don't have to remember to go back and place your hold. There's also just informally talking to library staff about what you're reading. You know, when you return a book, did you really like it? Did you not really like it? But we always really honestly love to hear about it. <laughs> and uh, Or send us an email saying, hey, this was a really great book. And we'll know that maybe we should get more like that. There is also a form if you find books that you think are outdated or um, need in the wrong place in the library. There are places where folks can address that too. A reconsideration form allows us to take a look at what's on the library shelves and maybe classify it in a different age group or replace it with something up to date. The other fun way the community can be involved in our collection is the Local Voices Collection. We have a really vibrant community of producers and creators, and the library loves to highlight those. If you've written a book or if you've recorded some music or made a movie that's on DVD, you can donate that to the library and we will highlight it in our Local Voices Collection. I love that that we can uplift those books that might normally have a small small footprint, but we can sort of highlight them to our local readers. Thank you, Meredith, for all those suggestions, those ideas. We're going to put the link to the Suggest a Purchase form in the show notes. The other thing I'm going to link to is the newsletters that are sent out. I personally get the picture book newsletter because I like to know about the fun new picture books coming in for my kids. Do you want to tell us at all about those, Meredith, the newsletters that you create? Yes, and this is great because so I used to work in the branches and one of my favorite things to do when I worked on the floor in the library was to make displays. And we have so many creative people on staff. Every time you walk into a branch, you see a really great display someone's put some work into with maybe a hand-drawn character or a theme that you would never have thought. I would never have put that book with that other book, but yeah, I can totally see. And I, one of our favorite things is to come up with fun themes. And I do miss putting putting up displays. So I, in my current job, get to sort of do that, at least promote new titles or 
titles that people haven't seen in the newsletters, the book letters, newsletters. You can sign up for a topic like like science fiction or romance or a topic like business or lifestyles. And I also curate the lists on Libby from Overdrive. So the ebooks and e-audiobooks that you might not see when you're in the library. If you're on the Libby app, we do fun sort of shelves in the beginning to find to help folks find books on specific topics. So like, we're just about to put up a list of books that will be featured in the Virginia Festival of the Book coming next month, and a list of read-alikes for our same page book, which is Ross Gay's Book of Delights. And one of my favorite things on making those lists is to find books, you know, the threads of what connects a book, what make those connections that might not be obvious of a, a book that will give you the same feeling or experience, but you might not have picked up because it's not by this an author you know about or on a specific topic, but it has the same feel. What are the characteristics of the book? What are the traits? I love when you said the feeling you get when you're reading it and you want to recreate that for someone, but maybe even with a totally different book or even within a totally different genre. One of the books that I'm reading right now is Baking by Feel by Becca Ray Tucker. And it's a cookbook, but she's also talking about emotions. And it it's it's kind of an interesting mashup of self-help book and cooking. And I haven't tried any of the recipes yet, so I can't speak to the quality of the recipes, but they all look good. And she's got really great pictures of cookies and cakes. But she also has sidebars on if you're feeling bored or if you're feeling frustrated. And she ties the baking into emotions. Um and it was really interesting because that book sparked a memory of reading Amy Bender's The Particular Sadness of Lemon Cake, which is a novel. It's older now, but I remember it was really good. And it was about a character who has an ability to infuse what she's baking with what she's feeling at the time. And when people eat, for instance, her lemon cake, they feel the sadness she was feeling when she baked it. That is so cool. I love that. All right, Meredith. So how about give us some numbers? You mentioned spreadsheets, huge numbers. So give us a scope of this region, the size of the state of Delaware. What kind of numbers are we looking at here? Sure. So for our our nine branches, our nine different collections, and that is eight physical buildings plus our book media collection. And we actually now can add our 10th branch, which would be our digital branch, the e-library. We have about half a million items that we manage, uh, and we those circulate 1.5 million times a year. We add about a thousand titles a month, so 1,000 new new titles and multiple copies of those many times. And we were talking about patron suggestions. We get about a hundred a week and we are able to say yes to about 85% of those. So Meredith, you see every book, you know, every book we buy. What do you choose to read? What are you currently reading right now? I do see them all and it's difficult because I am the kind of person who gets very interested in almost everything. I see I'm like, oh, that looks fun. Oh, that looks fun. And so I really have to to trim my holes list every once in a while, say I cannot get to all the books. So I spend more time reading about books than I spend time reading books. But right now I'm in the middle of The Mountain in the Sea by Ray Naylor, which is a sort of a 
techno thriller, but also it's about consciousness. If anybody has known me for more than a couple years, they know that a couple years ago, I read Cy Montgomery's The Soul of the Octopus. And I would not shut up about that book for months. I was just like, oh, and did you know this about octopuses? And did you know this about octopuses? And also, and I'm sure that I bored everybody I knew. Because Cy Montgomery tells tells it really well. And I'm sure that in translation, I was like, I've got octopus facts. <laughs> I loved that book. And it was interesting because then I saw this book come across my desk a couple weeks ago, and it is about a hyper-intelligent octopus. So, and I'm only halfway through, so I don't think I'll spoil anything, but I also can't, maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong, but it seems to be that there is an octopus that, or, or a group of octopodes that have, this is something else I learned from Cy Montgomery, by the way, it's not octopi, it's either octopuses or octopodes. In any case, they've developed culture and uh, of like language. So I don't know all the facts yet about this book, but it talks about artificial intelligence and it's a little bit of an eco thriller because we're sort of post climate disaster, maybe. There's also been a lot of books recently on animal intelligence and consciousness and what makes them different and possibly better or just different from from human intelligence. So I think it ties into that. And it's also just a really fun adventure read, too. So that's what I'm excited about right now. And thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for spending time with us and telling us all about your job. Thank you for having me. A job that's sort of behind the scenes in the library, but we touch a lot of the public service. Thank you, listeners, for being part of this podcast community. We're so happy to have you. We hope you'll join us in taking a moment to thank the friends of the library who generously support this endeavor. If you'd like to learn more or join the friends, you can head to their website at jmrlfriends.org. That's all for us today. We'll be back in two weeks with our next episode. Don't forget you can get involved on social media or by emailing us at podcast at jmrl.org. Thanks for tuning in. We're glad to be on the same page.